Welcome to Her Half of History. My name is Lori. A big thank you to Stacy and Laura who signed up on Patreon. If you too would like access to bonus episodes and polls on future series topics, click on the Patreon link in the show notes or on my website, herhalfofhistory.com. Also, a word about the schedule. Series 11 on the history of girlhood is coming along and will start on September 21st. In the meantime, I have two more guest podcasters for you, including today's host, a fellow member of the Into History Network. It's Josh from the Wild West Extravaganza podcast. Josh tells the stories of the tumultuous American Old West, including characters like Billy the Kid, Jesse James, Wyatt Earp, and Wild Bill Hickok. But today, he is going to tell us about the amazing Annie Oakley. The news of Annie Oakley's arrest took the country by storm. And rightfully so. I mean, she was America's original sweetheart. Little Miss Sure Shot, the diminutive darling of the Wild West show who performed in front of nobility and the common folk alike, who once personally entertained the Queen of England, now reduced to petty thievery on the dirty streets of the Windy City. Steals to secure cocaine, read the brazen headline printed in the August 11th, 1903 edition of the Chicago American, a copy that was quickly picked up and spread across the nation like wildfire. It was almost too much to believe, especially for a Mrs. Phoebe Ann Butler of Nutley, New Jersey, as her sharp eye scanned the tell-all print in astonished incredulousness. The article alleged that the great Annie Oakley stole the trousers, or britches as they're called here in my neck of the woods, from a man in order to obtain money to feed her addiction. It even quoted the famous lady herself pleading with the judge to have pity on her, a supplication that fell on deaf ears as he not only fined the sharpshooter $45, but also threw her behind bars, explaining that a good long stay in the clink might just do her some good. And if that's not enough, the write-up even went on to disparage Miss Oakley's diminished physical attributes, stating that despite being just 28 years of age, she appeared closer to 40, her once striking appearance completely ravaged by drug abuse. At this point, Mrs. Butler of Nutley, New Jersey, loyal wife of Frank, had read enough. The next day, she boldly marched into the offices of the Baltimore Sun, lawyer in tow, demanding a retraction. A demand that was readily met, seeing as how Mrs. Butler had quite the convincing story. You see, she knew for a fact that Annie Oakley weren't no dope fiend. And she knew that Annie wasn't in Chicago at the time of the alleged crime or arrest. Matter of fact, she knew exactly where the famous trick shot was on the night in question. She was right there in Baltimore attending a meet and greet at a local country club. Mrs. Butler knew this because, well, if you haven't already figured it out, she was the real Annie Oakley. The whole thing had been a big mix-up coupled with shoddy reporting. While it's true, a lady of the night had been arrested in Chicago and she had given her name as Annie, A-N-Y Oakley, that's about as far as the likeness went. The accused was actually a burlesque dancer by the name of Maude Fontanella. And while she may have been a haggard-appearing 27 years old, as the newspapers reported, the real Annie Oakley was already 43. And she was spoiling for a fight. But let's just back up a bit. Born Phoebe Ann Moses, the just five-foot-tall Oakley proved to be quite the marksman, or markswoman, at a very early age. A skill that eventually earned her a spot in Buffalo Bill Cody's famous Wild West show. And the Wild West show, by the way, was sort of an open-air variety production depicting and often featuring real-life figures from the Old West. Imagine an arena, instead of monster trucks or athletes, you've got mounted warriors and old army scouts putting on mock battles and hunts. You also had exhibition acts like Oakley showing off her sharpshooting abilities. 
This gig soon found Annie touring not only all over the United States, but across the pond to Europe as well, displaying her prowess with a firearm to UK's Queen Victoria, Italy's King Umberto, the German Kaiser Wilhelm II, and even the President of France, whose name I'm not able to pronounce. Considered by some to be the first female superstar from the United States, Annie Oakley was known and loved by all, and her marksmanship was second to none. We're talking about a lady who could hit targets while standing on the back of a galloping horse. She could shoot the flame out of a candle, the cigarette from between a man's lips, hit the middle of an ace of spades over her shoulder, and was even known to take a run and jump off a table and blast four targets out of the air before any of them could hit the ground. There's no two ways about it. That's some spectacular shooting. And to be perfectly honest, Annie Oakley never even got close to picking my curiosity. At least not until very recently. Usually here on the Wild West Extravaganza, we discuss real people and events from the Old West era. Gunfighters, outlaws, lawmen, Native Americans, frontiersmen, you get the picture. And while Annie is often associated with the so-called Wild West, she wasn't really a participant. Truth be told, Annie never even made her way west of the Mississippi until later in her career. She was simply an entertainer, albeit an extremely talented entertainer. But here's the thing. While it's true that Annie Oakley was no gunfighter or lady bandit or whatever other title might excite the imagination, she did possess many of the qualities that we often associate with the Old West. That toughness, that determination, the inner strength, and the battle scars. Oh yes, Annie had scars. Some were visible and others weren't. At least not to the naked eye. But these scars had her as battle ready as any warrior who ever strung a bow. And when that Chicago paper decided to run that erroneous article and drag her good name through the mud, they unwittingly awoke a giant of a woman, a scrappy little fighter who wasn't about to take this beating lying down. All right, enough with the preamble. Let's take a look at what made Annie Oakley such a formidable force and why I consider her to still be an inspiration to this day. Time for a little bit of girl power, Old West style. My name's Josh, and you're listening to the Wild West Extravaganza. Ah, William Randolph Hearst. Born in 1863 to the infamous mining tycoon-turned-politician George Hearst, the Harvard graduate William would enter the world of publishing after his daddy gifted him the San Francisco Examiner in 1887. Skip ahead a few years and he'd acquire the New York Journal, spurring on a circulation war with rival newspaperman Joseph Pulitzer. Yes, that Pulitzer. At his peak, William Randolph Hearst would control at least 30 newspapers across the country, as well as magazines bringing his version of the news to millions of readers and controlling the narrative in the process. So much so that he's even credited with plunging the United States into war with Spain. Kind of. While most historians agree that Hearst was not the driving force behind the Spanish-American War, it was his particular brand of reporting that intensified public calls for the U.S. to enter the conflict. And that particular brand is what's known as the art of yellow journalism a type of reporting that uses sensationalism and eye-catching headlines in lieu of well-researched, legitimate news. A sort of shameless pandering to his readers' most base tendencies, coupled with a drive to further his own political leanings. In short, if Hearst thought a story could sell or it backed up his own personal beliefs, it didn't necessarily matter all that much how accurate it was. As such, it should come as no surprise that Hearst quickly seized upon the false story of Annie Oakley's arrest with little regard to its veracity. 
please keep in mind that this was before the TV and Internet and even the radio. The printed word was king and William Randolph Hearst wore that crown. Just to give you an idea of what we're dealing with here. When Hearst's many papers ran with the story on Annie, he was one of, if not the, most powerful media moguls this country had ever known. A millionaire who had served in Congress and was eyeing a run at the White House. A very powerful and influential man, to say the least. And when all those other papers began retracting and posting corrections as to Mrs. Oakley's arrest, Hearst decided to double down, even to the point of hiring investigators to dig up dirt on Annie to further smear her name. What do you do when such a powerful man sets their sights on you? Someone not only with millions of dollars at their disposal, but a vast media empire and an army of investigators to boot. To be blunt, Annie Oakley didn't stand a chance. At least you wouldn't think so, right? But as I alluded to earlier, Annie was a fighter. And what she lacked in physical stature, she more than made up for in grit. The exact type that William Shakespeare once wrote of when he penned the verse, and though she be but little, she is fierce. Turns out Oakley wasn't intimidated by Hearst, his power, his connections, or his money. That terrible piece almost killed me, Annie once said, going on to write, quote, The only thing that kept me alive was the desire to purge my character, end quote. Annie knew she was in the right, and as the great Davy Crockett once allegedly said, make sure you're in the right and then go on ahead. And that's exactly what the famous sharpshooter did. Not with a gun, though. Oh, no. Annie waged war with something far more frightening. Lawyers. Lawyers who wasted no time in suing Hearst, his newspapers, and any of the other papers who drug Annie's name through the mud. Even those who retracted the very next day. Didn't matter. Oakley wanted vindication. She wanted her name cleared, and she wanted it cleared publicly, the same way it had been tarnished. It wouldn't be easy, though. From Missouri to Boston to Illinois to Pennsylvania, South Carolina, the list goes on. From one courthouse to another, Annie and her lawyers went toe-to-toe with Hearst's men. She endured intense grilling at the hands of aggressive attorneys and even more false accusations meant to discredit her. Even allegations that Annie would appear immodestly on stage, i.e. showing off a little too much skin. An outright lie, considering that Oakley was very careful to avoid even a whiff of immodesty while performing, even to the point of donning specially sewn clothing that would cover her entire body, ankles included. Even her lack of schooling was called into question. When asked by one of Hearst's attorneys what her opinion of a formal education was, Annie replied, a very good thing when backed by common sense and a very bad thing in the head of a cheap lawyer. In the end, after years of litigation, despite intimidation threats and everything else, Annie was victorious. She won 54 out of 55 cases, taking William Randolph Hearst for $27,500. About $800,000 in today's money. Not really all that much, especially considering his net worth adjusted for inflation would be around $30 billion. And especially considering how in the end Annie came out at a loss, spending all of Hearst's money and some of her own on all them lawyers. But this wasn't about money, not really. Nothing worth fighting for ever is, right? I'll never forget something my father once told me. He said, son, get your head out of your ass. But there's also something else he said that's always kind of stuck with me throughout the years. About how in this world, they can take everything from you. Everything but your self-respect. Annie didn't care about all that money she lost during the ordeal. Didn't care about the smear tactics, and she wasn't afraid to go head-to-head with one of the most powerful men in the country. And in the end, she was triumphant. When it was all said and done, everybody knew the truth about America's sweetheart. Her reputation remained intact, as did her self-respect. Pretty cool story, right? 
sort of a David versus Goliath underdog tale where good ultimately won in the end. There's a little bit more to it than that, though. When I initially read about Oakley taking Hearst to court and winning, I thought, oh, okay, that's cool. Sounds like a tough lady. I sort of subconsciously chalked it up to her spending time with the Wild West show. You know, maybe some of those old warriors like Sitting Bull or Bill Cody rubbed off on her, taught her a thing or two about standing up for herself. And boy, was I wrong. I began learning more about Annie, her past, and the type of life she overcame long before she ever heard of William Randolph Hearst. You see, Oakley had a fire inside of her that was all her own. Weren't no man who gave Annie that inner strength, that fight. That was all her, forged from a childhood of trauma. As I said earlier, Annie's given name was Phoebe Ann Moses, the sixth out of nine children born in Ohio in 1860 to a dirt-poor Quaker family. Tragically, two of her siblings would not live to adulthood, making Annie fifth out of seven. Times were hard, and they only got harder when Annie's father died when she was just five years old. Came down with hypothermia after getting stuck in a blizzard, and by the time he got home, it was just too late. The widow Moses married again, and that husband passed away as well, leaving the family in dire straits. It was also around this time that Annie's older sister succumbed to tuberculosis, and her mother was forced to sell the family milk cow just to see her buried. Golly. With so many children to feed, rather than see them all starve, Annie's mother placed her then nine-year-old daughter into the Drake County Infirmary. Now, this infirmary, also called a poorhouse, was there to supposedly take care of the destitute, orphans, the mentally ill, and the elderly. It was at the infirmary that young Oakley was quote-unquote bound out to various families, one of which she would later describe as wolves. Over the next two years, Annie was beaten, locked in closets, used as sort of an indentured servant, and according to at least one researcher, likely sexually abused. One horrific incident that Annie later outlined included her being placed outside in the snow after making the tragic mistake of falling asleep while darning without even so much as shoes or a coat to keep her warm. I got down on my little knees, looked toward God's clear sky, and tried to pray. Oakley later said of the ordeal, but my lips were frozen stiff. Still, though, Annie refused to let this destroy her. That inner fighter was already rising up, and at the age of 11, she made her getaway escaping and ultimately returning home to her mother. But even then, her struggles were far from over. Remember, things were bleak back home. To help out, Annie took up her dead father's shotgun, using it to provide much-needed food for her struggling mother and siblings. And not only did that scattergun help feed their bellies, but it also proved to be Oakley's ticket to a better life. Turns out Annie doesn't miss very often. So successful was she at procuring game for the dinner table that she was able to sell the extra meat and all the hides for money. So much money that she was able to pay off her mother's mortgage at the age of 15. Now that's some fancy shooting. I don't know about you, but I couldn't even pay attention at the age of 15, much less a mortgage. News soon spread of this little firebrand's prowess with both shotguns and rifles, and at the urging of others, Annie began entering shooting contests and winning, beating outgrown men. That's how she met her husband, Frank, whipped him in a shooting competition. I was a beaten man the moment she appeared, husband Frank would remember years later. And the rest is history. Annie became a legend in a man's world and becoming one of the highest paid performers in the entire country while doing so. So yeah, I think it's safe to say that Oakley learned how to rise above adversity long before she had her day in court. Annie picked up the hard way that you couldn't quit no matter how bad things were getting, that you had to keep fighting. Now, despite this rise from the pits of poverty and abuse, 
You'd think maybe Annie's past experiences would have soured her to life, caused her to become bitter or mean-spirited. Nothing could be further from the truth. According to, well, everybody, Annie was always a lady, always kind, always carried herself with a certain dignity. Described as soft-spoken and courteous, she herself once claimed that to be considered a lady was always her highest ambition. The actor Will Rogers later recalled, quote, I had heard cowboys who traveled with the Buffalo Bill show speak of her in almost reverence. They loved her. She was a marvelous woman, kindest hearted, most thoughtful, a wonderful Christian woman. Sittenbull, the Lakota leader most famous for helping lead the fight against Custer at the Battle of Little Bighorn, thought so much of Annie that he adopted her. Per Oakley, in her autobiography, quote, He had asked me to take the place of the daughter he lost shortly after the Custer massacre. She had made the moccasins he wore in the fight, in the struggle where he pitted his brain against that of the white man. He fought justly, for his people had been driven from their God-given inheritance and were living upon broken promises. Sitting Bull's daughter was about my age at the time of my adoption, when he gave me the moccasins he so prized. End quote. And by the way, it was Sitting Bull who gave Annie the nickname Little Miss Shershot. And even in the courtroom, when Hearst attorneys and investigators continued to smear her name, Annie never lost her composure or her sense of humor. Don't get it twisted, though. This carefully cultivated reputation as a lady didn't mean that Annie kowtowed to men. Obviously, right? She once famously said, I ain't afraid to love a man, but I ain't afraid to shoot one, neither. Speaking of shooting, Annie would continue to compete for the rest of her life, even after a horrible car accident in 1922 that caused her to need a steel brace on her leg. A brace she refused to prevent her from breaking even more shooting records. We're talking about a woman in her 60s at this point with a bum leg smashing records. And she taught thousands of other women how to safely and accurately handle a firearm, saying, quote, I would like to see every woman know how to handle guns as naturally as they know how to handle babies. When the First World War broke out, Annie offered to train an all-female unit of sharpshooters for the military. And she expressed a bit of regret over a past performance. You may remember me saying she put on a show in front of the Kaiser Wilhelm II. Well, this is one of those times she shot a cigar out of the mouth of a volunteer, and that volunteer just so happened to be the Kaiser himself. This was in Berlin back in 1890. Legend has it that once hostilities began years later, Annie stated that this was the one shot she wished she had missed. Oakley also donated quite a bit. When asked why she didn't spend money on herself, she stated, quote, If I spend one dollar foolishly, I see tear-stained faces for little children beaten as I was. Sadly, Annie's health would decline rapidly thanks to both anemia and complications from that car accident. And Little Miss Sure Shot would pass away in November of 1926 at the age of 66. Her beloved and heartbroken husband Frank would follow her to the other side just 18 days later. Annie's legacy lives on as she continues to be an inspiration. She wasn't perfect, obviously. Nobody is. While a huge advocate for equal pay for all women, she wasn't exactly all that excited about women's suffrage. Expressing concerns that not enough quote-unquote good women would vote. But by and large, there's just not a whole lot of bad things to say about the lady, and that in and of itself is an anomaly when discussing historical figures. On a personal level, as the father of a little baby girl, it's now important to me that women like Annie Oakley become more well-known. Too often, the discussion of history is centered around war or other atrocities, and your less-than-controversial characters don't always get the attention they deserve. It's my opinion that we could use a little bit more of these inspiring figures such as Annie Oakley. 
Now, this episode is a little bit of a deviation from what I normally discuss. I'm as guilty as the next guy for focusing on the more violent aspects of history. I mean, after all, this is a podcast covering the Wild West, and those were some bloody days. That said, I think Annie Oakley embodies the spirit of the types we usually discuss. The rugged frontiersman, the defiant warrior, the little guy or gal making a stand against overwhelming odds. That's the same grit and determination that Annie employed to fight her way out of a traumatic childhood, to rise up out of the mire and excel in a man's world, and to never back down to anyone, not even someone as powerful as William Randolph Hearst. Speaking of Hearst, it was for him, sadly, a win-win situation. The more he fought back against Annie's lawsuits, the more sensational headlines he could then print, ensuring that he'd sell even more papers. Remember what P.T. Barnum once said, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Hearst would ultimately lose his presidential bid and a campaign for mayor of New York City that followed. And after an unsuccessful run for governor, he finally called it quits on politics. His media empire would continue to grow. Cosmopolitan, Good Housekeeping, Town and Country, Harper's Bazaar, all owned by Hearst. He took a bit of a hit during the Great Depression, and in 1941, when George Orwell clearly based his movie Citizen Kane on Hearst, it infuriated the mogul. He waged a bitter campaign against the film and employed the same sort of personal attacks on Wells as he previously used on Annie Oakley. I reckon nothing lasts forever, though. Hearst's health began failing in the late 1940s, and on August 14, 1951, he would pass away in Beverly Hills, California at 88 years of age. As for the legacy of Annie Oakley, well, I think it's safe to say her memory lives on. The musical Annie Get Your Gun was loosely based on Oakley's life, as was the Academy Award-winning film version that followed. Gail Davis, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Reba McIntyre are just a few of the big names who portrayed Annie on the big screen. And even Marvel Comics ran a series on the legendary sharpshooter. Not bad for a poverty-stricken Quaker girl who was once held hostage by wolves in human clothing. One last quote from Annie to close things out. Words from the lady herself that I think sum up the way she lived her life. Words that, as cliche as they seem, are as relevant today as they were a century ago. Aim for the high mark and you will hit it. No, not the first time, not the second time, and maybe not even the third time. But keep on aiming and keep on shooting, for only practice will make you perfect. Finally, you'll hit the bullseye of success. End quote. And well said, Annie Oakley. All right, thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can find the Wild West Extravaganza wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to head on over to wildwestextra.com for more true tales from the wild and woolly west. And while you're there, hit that contact button. Let me know what's on your mind. Till next time, try not to get arrested for stealing anybody's pants just so you can get a taste of that devil's nose candy. And whatever you do, don't try shooting a cigar out of anyone's mouth. Adios. Get your head out of your ass. Many thanks to Josh for the episode. 
I hope you will check out more of the Wild West Extravaganza podcast. In addition to finding it on Josh's website or your favorite podcast player, you can also get it ad-free on the Into History website. There's a link in the show notes. Next week will be my last guest, for a while anyway. It's Richard Napolitano of the Shipwrecks and Sea Dogs podcast to tell us about Captain Carolyn Kurtz. Thanks! Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.